Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you? HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that really make a difference. It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, Roberta's? Yes, 100%. I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together. I think getting more people excited about good, local, well-crafted food and away from big ag and tasteless commodity food is so important. It's kind of an honor to be sitting there with somebody in a space where so many other people have sat. Join HRN's vibrant community of thoughtful eaters. Become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Good morning. Good morning. Today is Thursday, December 19th. Did you guys miss me? Oh, yeah. Terrible. Definitely. Were you crying last Thursday? <laughs> Patrick and Trey were here in the studio without me. Um, I am Emily Pearson, in case you've forgotten my voice. This is the main course OG. I'm here with uh, Patrick Martins, my co-host. Always remember, she has the deepest voice. That's how you know it's Emily. The I'm most not? mannish voice, if you will. No, just kidding. <laughs> Deepest voice of some Deepest. women. I, uh, I'm not especially high-pitched. A strong voice. Thank you. I'll take it. I'm Patrick Martins. And we also have our uh, our regular panelist and uh, co-host, I would say, Trig Brown. Oh, thanks. Yeah. My name's Trig. Nice to see you guys, or talk to you guys. <laughs> I really like the, the promo leading into the show today. It was, uh, why is HRN important to you? And I think uh, I recognized a few host voices of the different hosts on the show. Patrick, why so is nice. HRN important to you? Well, I mean, wow, the 13,000 episodes in, and they're just <laughs> dipping their toe into all the voices out there that are essentially go uncovered, uh, people in food. You know, whether it be fishermen or farmers or people in foreign countries working to preserve a particular variety of honey or honeybee, uh, winemakers, people opening wine shops in neighborhoods where one might not have existed before. You know, I mean, it's just awesome. No, I think it it covers. Uh, We're it a platform. It, yeah, for those it runs guys. the gamut for sure. It's, you know. There, there's a show for everybody, and you know there might be a show that you didn't think would cover something. You know, uh -huh. like ours, we get to have uh, cast a very wide net with sort of how we touch mm -hmm. upon sustainability and food and beverage and. And uh, also, those bigger media sources, I would definitely say they care about those issues, of course. But then, why haven't you done more for it? Give it a section, cover it every week, talk about the serious issues behind it. So, in the lack of that, it provided an opportunity for us to fill that void. And we're hoping that they expand those programs. I mean, I heard people at like CBS didn't even have a food guy 15 years ago. <laughs> no, they have it, was, a it was always like the, um, the styles editor or the lifestyle would editor cross over. would cover food or beverage. But, but what did that mean? They thought it was like 
cool to go out and eat something and like hope that a restaurant was going to comp them because they said they were worth uh, People Magazine or whatever oh. it might be. Now, Are you telling me global warming is not a food story? <laughs> That's a food story first. I know. Well, do you want it in the food section or the science section? Although I am secretly looking forward to when papayas and bananas can be grown outside in Brooklyn. <laughs> it is freezing we right did, now. Uh, we did ask this question, I think it was, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago on the show. You know, what food or, or ingredient is, uh, is global warming helping in a way? Or so... Patrick wants mangoes growing in Brooklyn. If you had listened to the show last week, uh, we (laughs) said, uh, I said, well, you know, would you pick a restaurant based off of sustainability and trig? And basically the consensus of everyone in the studio was like, no, we're going to pick the best restaurant. The sustainability thing follows. Underlying point to that was, though, is that, you know, ideally restaurants with best practices will be floating to the top. Like good ideas naturally float Mm -hmm. to the top. So, you know, you don't have to make a, a choice between quality and best practices, you you know, make that choice together. Um, For sure. No, I think that makes sense. Absolutely. They should be, they should go hand in hand. Yeah. And I think slowly over time they will and they are. Um, this is our last episode for 2019. Heritage Radio Network goes on winter break as of tomorrow. Um, and I think we're back in the middle of January. Of course, you can listen to old episodes uh, through the podcast store and at heritageradionetwork.org. You can also become a member, which we hope you will. So Christmas is less than a week away. We're going a little crazy over at Heritage Foods. I'm sure everyone is. Uh, I know this is like holiday party season. Restaurants are in full swing. What do you guys all have planned? Trig, are you taking any time off at Winsun? Yeah, we do this ridiculous thing where we close for the week of Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a it's a hard hit on revenue every year, but uh, um, and you know I think we might have reached the point next year where we have to we can't we can't do it anymore. But um, you know maybe we just minimize it a little bit. But you know we close Monday through Friday, and uh, I, I think it's just really important for staff and um, you know our little like work family to be able to see their families over Christmas. And you know even if you don't celebrate Christmas, it's like a opportunity to be together with people. You know, you love and uh, I think you're going to get more employment applications this week. People are going to yeah, be like, no, so exactly. I heard you it's say so on the air next year I can take a <laughs> Have you considered vacation? staying closed next year as well, but maybe putting out a bunch of food and doing it like the honor system, like in Vermont, <laughs> where you just can like take an apple and leave Well, we do that cents. over Thanksgiving. We close on Thanksgiving as well and uh, the day of and the day after. And we do like a potluck and it's, you know, everybody can come and bring whoever just it, it's you know nature of potluck it can grow as much as, as much no, patrick as and i were down in north carolina earlier this year and someone was saying the guy who makes the local moonshine he just leaves it in a box and you're <laughs> supposed to like leave 30 bucks and and mm-hmm. take a and take a little mason jar and it's yeah purely on the honor system i don't know if that works uh in New York City so well. Well, yeah, you see less and less of it. I was actually sad to see that the turtles on Houston Street, remember there was that little turtle park on Houston and Bowery or something? It was on the south side under that big Christmas tree. Anyway, I think people abuse the turtles, and now the turtles aren't there anymore. They uh, abuse the turtles? Well, Were yeah, they I mean, there all they year do? round? Was it a know. turtle sanctuary? Turtle it was soup? a turtle sanctuary for sure. There were dozens. I don't know. It's just hard to... Yeah, the honor system might not work here, unfortunately, in, in the city. Although I think people are very honest here. But there's so many people, it increases the chance that there'll be that it's 1%. It's true. It, you know, it, it makes those of us who are honest, you know, we really get swept under. You, you know? also think people that New Yorkers are all the time. really polite, too. You, you think that. 
I believe in civil inattention. <laughs> civil inattention. You're civil, but you're inattentive to the every sneeze on the subway. I agree. I just feel like that needed to be flushed out a little bit. I appreciate it. But if someone fell, I would be right there. And I think yeah, yeah, every yeah. New Yorker would be the first. I once came in with a group of Amish, 15 Amish people, all in their little <laughs> uh, you know, bonnets. Bonus. Everyone got up. It was an instant, uh, all different races, creeds, sexes, ages, everyone up. Let the Amish sit. You know, it was very touching. You know, that's a real New York moment. Was it like a moment of feeling people feeling a little uncomfortable, or they well, they the knew Amish were the... uncomfortable because they were like, "How long do the subway doors open for?" And I'm like, "You have plenty of time for your kids to get in, like five, seven seconds." They were like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "If any of you don't make it in, get off of the next stop. Get, wait for the next train, and we'll wait for you." Oh my gosh, that really we only is took true. it one stop. I think so. They all sat down just for one stop and then got up. And I, I always do think that for out of towners, you should have that like one chat right before. If you're with a big group, you should be like, <laughs> Oh, definitely. Okay, if you really don't make it, we are going to meet at the next stop. But I guess now with cell phones, or that's... even the chat. Oh, about... no cell phones for the Amish. Well, it was terrifying. Well, this was way before those, but if you run to the previous stop to like get your kid, and this meanwhile, the kid goes to the next stop, it's hard to know what to do. Yeah. Have you had any uh, child run-ins? So we have, a, we have a special guest in the studio today who we're about to introduce. We have Andre Mack, uh, who is a sommelier, winemaker, graphic designer, and now uh, the proprietor and frontman of a, a ham bar and a wine shop in Prospect Lefferts Garden. Andre, you can unmute yourself. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How is everyone? We're good. You wanted to chime in about the no, subway no, child no, experience? No, 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 what do you do if oh, you our lose thing is your we child? Just, we just tell our kids, it's like, you get off, you stay on the same car, and you get off on the next exit in the exact same car, and you wait right there. So no one gets out and runs. You get, you know, if my kid was left there, if I missed the train, he gets off at the next stop, right in the same car. I get mm -hmm. on the same car. And then he's there. I think nice. that's, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's good it. plan. I once was in a, a cab accident. It hit uh, someone was actually escaping from a robbery, and it hit my cab. And I was being sent home alone from my mother's friends to my mom's house, maybe 1977, wow. 78. And I remember uh, the cops came, and I was like, I want to go home. And they sent me home with a guy, and I never knew he wasn't a policeman. And I just wondered if he had volunteered at the side of the home. crime. And you know, he wasn't like a child. Says escort. No, no, no. Just by like today's taken standards, you to his no way. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or hurt me in the cab. Yeah, or yeah. I don't know. You know but, but no, I know where I, I live. I feel like that kind of touches back. Like you know, there's like a southern hospitality versus civil inattentiveness, and there's you know, <laughs> like having the conversation about the train important with out of towners, but also just like you know, there is kind of an etiquette, right? Then that's like. Uh, I think distinguishing that. I think that's important for people. Also, like, the people that you engage and the people that, I think, as you're saying, the inattentiveness, the people you choose not to engage with because mm -hmm. that sort of opens a whole little can of worms. Like, you know, there's the people that you, you give attention to on the subway and the people that you're like, this yeah, is not you don't have me. to be rude to somebody right. begging for money, uh, but there, there's, like, other ways that you can help them or there's ways that you can, you know, engage without, you know, no, opening Pandora's you. box or something. Well, I'm very, New York is like me myself, you know, direct and upfront and congratulatory, but also critical. Like I was being yelled at by this lady at the Natural History Museum, <laughs> yelled at, <laughs> screaming top of her lungs. 
So, you know, as a good New Yorker, I took a photo of her <laughs> just to make her think that I would possibly was send it, it to her boss. Was it a photo or was it like a full-on video? Like, I no, am no, recording no. you. When I got the photo, though, I had just taken a picture of, like, the floor. I wasn't really committed to doing it, but I wanted to show, you know. And so that's a New Yorker thing. It's a little <laughs> bit, like, pushed back. Whereas in the South, I think they're more polite and genteel and might engage, more tolerant, maybe. But passive-aggressive, possibly, and... Perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes, you know. I don't know. My husband went on a whole, like, Good Samaritan thing the other day. He called me, and he was like, I was driving behind a, a FedEx truck on Henry Street, which in, like, Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill is super narrow. And someone was parked in an annoying way. Their wheel was out. But the FedEx truck hit the wheel. The wheel got punctured, and when he hit the wheel of the other car, he hit the other car on the side of the road, mm. scraped it, and put a hole in the door. Mm. And Dennis was—he actually like followed the FedEx driver, and like when he got out, the guy got out to deliver a package, and he was like, "Did you know you just hit two cars?" The guy sincerely had no idea, and then drove off. Well, gave him a fake phone number for <laughs> FedEx or for him because he was like, "Hey, what's your name?" You know, like I don't want you to get in trouble, but like FedEx should take care of this. And like we we like FedEx a lot, at, yeah. you know, Heritage. And uh, but Dennis took a picture of the vehicle number and the plate, and he wrote a note on both cars, and both cars like called him and were like, "Thank you." One was like, "You're my hero." I'm like, Dennis, you just like have nothing to do this afternoon. He was like, "No, I will hope someone would have done it for me." Yeah, absolutely. And I, so I you, he complained about the FedEx. He he said it was FedEx. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Do you no. think that'll affect your deliveries that you're I able to get? I specifically <laughs> said, Where's did my you? Christmas? Wait, Patrick, what's your take on this? Do no, you, hold on, wait. You, I did make sure that he did not give our address or our last name, and then he was like, <laughs> I did have to be part of the police report. They do know. If I smashed the hell out of their car, I would absolutely leave a note and make sure. No, what's if your take I on your loyalty to it? FedEx here? Do oh, think, I love yeah. it. If I just scraped the car, hey, you're in New York, kid. Like The, the cars get bumped and <laughs> nicked awesome. and screamed at bumpers. Come on, that's what a bumper mm -hmm. is. People have covers for their bumpers, like little rubber bumper buddies. I know, the it's bumper a buddy. bumper. I don't know. But bumper, I, bumpers have changed, though. Bumpers used to be a piece of metal that wasn't cosmetically, yeah, like for the car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Those have changed now. But if you scrape them, but I, I believe the same thing. It's like it's it's made but for. This if I'm was, if I'm there, there's also a, a difference yeah, between a tap, like a New York tap, and like you know destroying someone's plastic Correct. bumper. And you know, I, I uh, came this, up to my truck, truck the other day with punctured smashed. the destroying, side door. of course. You know, yeah. destroyed. I mean, it, this it has was like thousands of it. dollars worth of yeah. That's repairs. what I, I, I came up to my truck the other day, and I've been asleep in my apartment. I woke up, you know, five a.m. to go to work. I went outside, and my truck was smashed. The front left side of it smashed. The wheel exploded, and uh, it was popped up on the sidewalk. See, no note. No, wait. No note. No note. No. No, no, no. I was, like, getting ready to, like, solicit, you know, landlords and get the security yeah, footage. Called the cops. They came. They're like, hey, don't worry. We filled out. The guy filled out a report last night. Wow. And, I mean, it was, like, you know, super oh, obvious. But yeah. kind of weird that... He didn't also leave a note. Super weird they didn't leave a note, but I'd much prefer him call the police and leave an honest report than, you know. Do you pick up your dog's poop all the time, 100% of the time? Um, it, I mean, if I'm in Virginia, absolutely not. But if I'm, in, you know, on the street in front of my home. 80%, like, 100%? I mean, 100% where I should pick it up, I pick it up. Okay. Patrick. I mean, are you? What are you eliminating? Uh, where I should park? What are you eliminating? Yeah, I mean, Highland Park is a fifty-acre park. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. There's not. You don't play in the woods in some places. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'll. But you like, mean in New York? Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but but you know, I Patrick mean, Eastern Parkway, a little. I know. Kick? No, I do. I do My dogs up. poop bigger than Sniffy. I know for sure. That's why I mean. Sometimes it's like an ordeal. But I guess the real question is: Do you curb your dog? 
Meaning? Like, meaning, meaning that whole expression means curb your dog. It means yeah. that your dog is actually supposed to poop on the other side of the curb in the street oh. where the street cleaners go and yeah. pick it up. I'm not so, on the other side. quote yeah. unquote, relieved that he is relieving himself <laughs> yeah. that I just will take it. Because the other option with my puppy is that it's in the house. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty, a great history lesson, though. I didn't know that. It I, is, yeah. No, I'm pretty it, sure. There was a huge argument on my street about it. Wow. Like the guy was screaming at a guy and, he, and the, the, the dog owner's like, what, he's supposed to go on the street? And the guy's like, yeah. He's supposed to go where you actually clean it because they now the the homeowner has to come out and spray it, right? Right, you know, right. Because you don't get it all or like whatever. But yeah, but yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I, I, it took a minute. I'm you know, a leader you see, in a sign that says, you know, curb your dog, and if, if you look at it carefully, the dog is on like on the curb side of the street. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I do find it absurd when they're know. those beautiful little tree things all throughout the streets. You know, they're mm -hmm. little uh, fences, tiny fences <laughs> with the tree in it. And they're Some like, curb your maybe. dog. Yeah. If they're yeah. flowers, of course, roses, you don't want your dog to be on. But they're like, curb your dog. I'm like, this is the only <laughs> bug like, green in the it's city. It's winter. <laughs> it's only full of dead leaves. Yeah. Curb your dog. What's so precious here? This you know what is, is frustrating, though? When, when you like, you know, uh, I live out over here in Bushwick and like, you know, people are just like, throw trash on the ground and yep. then they're worried about the dog That's yeah, it's like come on like let's like you know let's walk before we can yeah no I, I hear you there was a a door in the middle of our block here on seagull for two days did you see it <laughs> no did you walk through it i i i mean i like walked around it I, I, it was just outrageous people leave people just like don't well, mattresses organize. are left a lot because what the hell do you do with you're a supposed to call for like special pickup but i don't really? think anybody does They're just infested with bed bugs Ugh. i'm 47th between like 10th and 11th <laughs> yeah, that 30 goes, mattresses that goes really an well. hour <laughs> All right, we, uh, we, we, uh, we tend to like to play this game on the show. Uh, we're going to have a quick round Charming of fuck, Mary kill. And wine is the theme today. Wow. So I ask you all, red, white, rosé, or you could sub one out for champagne. Andre, um, you're the I wine mean, man in the I'm, room. All of it. Did you just I mean, uh, say Andre uh, uh, has to Mac uh, of the brand new and Sons ham bar here in Brooklyn and Maison Noir Wines in Oregon's Willamette Valley? That's who is. You are correct. I had, that is me. Uh, that I had is done I. a small intro before, but you were correct. That is a further one. Tell that us. That is me. I am all. I, I'm all of the above. I mean, I'm does, the Maison, does Maison Noir Wines have all four? All four. We make a sparkling that releases uh, next fall. Has sparkling taken a jump in the past 20 years? I mean, obviously, champagne and sparkling is always a huge part of history, but is it now a, a, an equal section to red and white? Has anything changed or nothing? Uh, I would have to say domestically there there has been more sparkling wine, and just with the advent of Patnet, which 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 is sparkling, um, everybody's making it. You know, it it seems that it's a category that has jumped and grown um, domestically for sure. And then obviously it has to be called sparkling wine. It Correct. can't be champagne unless it no. comes from champagne. But I also yep, notice a lot of people are like uh, super into. I mean, including myself, effervescent wines, yep. and like uh, Gruners that are like slightly mm -hmm. effervescent. I yep. mean, people want. People love that. Uh, yeah, it's no. interesting. No, I've, I've always dug it. Um, you know, I always talk about, you know, we talk about like the natural wine movement. And, you know, for me, it's always like, it's just the kids being into something new, right? My era was those sommeliers made Grunewald Wiener famous. Right. Right. You know, those people, so there were people who had, you were considered progressive if you had more Grunewald Wiener than you had Merlot. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, you know, so this is just a trans another transition that, that I feel like that 
you know, I feel lucky to be able to live through. But there's definitely a lot more um, effervescent wines and mm -hmm. sparkling. Uh, I was going to say, time. Emily, because of your question that you wrote, uh, you know, would champagne have been added to that question uh, 20 years ago? So, all right, fuck, marry, kill. Yep, yep. You it sounds go. like everybody's all marrying right. sparkling in this era. <laughs> oh, I'm going to marry... I'm gonna marry white. I'm gonna fuck red, and I'm gonna kill rosé. Oh, that high? I'd never played this game before. Yeah. I never heard oh it. yeah. Heard and, and I'll, well, I'll, I'll, you I'll know say about curbing your dog, but it, not yeah. marry kill. What the it's hell? a little <laughs> unusual to uh, play with, with you know, yeah, inanimate. And it's a tough one, right? Because like you know, for red, for me, like red gets. I get more hungover when I drink red wine. I love it the most. The so tannins. That, but I, I don't. There's something about it that like mm -hmm. it, it fucks me up worse mm -hmm. than any of them. Um, and white, I feel like I've always. I feel like I'm uh, learning a lot more about white wines mm -hmm. and okay. the, the varieties, and then rosé. I, I also love, but I feel like there's uh, it's easy to find like a like a patio pounder that's not as interesting. Mm -hmm. Or so, I like so that, that a patio pounder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I feel like I'll kill rosé, but I, I don't I don't hold fast mm -hmm. to those those judgments. Mm -hmm. I, I, you don't actually do those things to those wines. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 I totally, I totally. Get I mean, it. you know. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what I, do you think? For me, uh, I guess it'd be I fuck red wine. I would uh, kill rosé and marry champagne. Word. Oh. Yeah. There we go. There all we right. go. Yeah. I, I love it all. I mean, I think Robert Parker was had such a big influence on American wine in Wine Spectator and gave high r ratings to these very heavy American wines or wines from around the world. I think almost our generation thinks that red wine was that was what people were drinking all the time the whites and the other thing i think because of that one guy had a big swap now of course things have changed mm -hmm. there's a million voices there's wines everywhere you do know. the ratings back I, then I, no but i mean they're all, all the wines are still rated i don't know that it means as much to the to the lay person i think it's no, more in a certain community no i think i think it's still it, it means something it's not it doesn't carry the same weight i think it's like when you had rated wines and how they sold out but like there's still people who play that game but the voice means less and less um especially as as they start to go away you know i've never submitted my wines for any type of review because interesting I, I, because i just never believed in it and because they're good you don't yeah. need someone else to yeah, tell I mean, you they're but good yeah, yeah. but no one needs anybody to tell them what's good like what's different like you know what i mean yeah. like you either like this whiskey or you don't right i felt like wine to me was the same way and i never bought off scores when at any of the places i worked i never cared and so for me it's like more power to the people either you like it or you don't and that that's always been my thing and that's how you know. That's how I built my company. Somewhere like along the way, you um, you started a graphic design company. Yep. Do you did you think that subconsciously did you ever pick wines based on labels? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I totally did. I mean, and everybody does. I mean, it. You know, I do. Label yeah. shopping is fantastic. Yeah. I think as as you know, in the industry, if you if you ever talk about packaging or marketing, then all of all of a sudden it was like you weren't an artist anymore, and I just thought that was bullshit. There's people who pay tens of thousands of dollars to have labels design, and it mm -hmm. is an integral part of it. Um, and even if you had no marketing, if you just put it in a brown paper bag, that's still marketing, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and so for, for me, yeah, we totally picked on, I picked on labels. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, as I became more and more immersed in wine, I, I understood, like, some of it was gimmicks, some of it wasn't. But, um, you know, for me, it was more about, you know, you can't judge a, you know, a package, you know, anything by its cover, a package by its cover, mm -hmm. or a wine by its cover. Well, I know that I'm missing a whole genre of wines of like the old school script and like mostly you mean the like French the, wines. What do they call that? Uh, the design, the label of the family. It was called the emblem. The crest. Crest. Yeah. Family yeah. Crest, yeah. yeah. Is, is this, can I show you? Is this? Yeah. A, and we'll explain it to the listeners. But is this a? This is a popular wine right now, right? It is. Well, very well, popular. Um, can you? 
I, so it was gifted to me by my partner, mm -hmm. who's like, uh, you know, an enthusiast. Um, Trig is showing a wine bottle label that is only an image. Yes. Is there no name? Um, no, there's it's a, a there's a, a name. There's a woman on a lady, face. a picture of a, a drawing of a lady. Yeah. Why? I'm, I'm I haven't opened this, and I, but I've definitely seen it around. I think like People's maybe selling. A yeah. Few, yeah. There, but it's like definitely. I get the impression that it's hip, and I, I'm I'm excited to drink it um, because but, of the label you're saying. Well, I, and it's natural it, wine. It's a it's it, a pretty famous natural wine, and actually they were just uh, there was a huge festival I think in Slovakia or Slovenia or something like that. But anyways, that it's it's a really famous one. It's I don't, I don't know much about the wine right, right, in, right. in general. Yeah, uh, but I have seen it. Cool. Everywhere. Yeah. 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 It's funny. It's like dare, it we, is dare we say the name? It, it won't be an endorsement. It's just a yeah. Uh, yeah and, and 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 you probably you guys listening probably uh would recognize it. but it's a you know it's a very light sketch of a of a woman's face um and i think it's they're all in that um they're all in that realm they're they're very um well you can I gotta find the picture again when Sorry. you find it that's <laughs> okay i shop by region i like just I, I i know i like the nebbiolo grape and i like mm -hmm. valtellina uh, as which is also, I think, the Nebbiolo grape. Mm -hmm. It's the Sforzato. So 99% of the time. And then if I'm stuck in a French place, I will always order Bandol because Alice Waters taught me to. Yep. And that's why I would not kill Rosé because of Bandol Tempier. Speaking of a label that I would probably not pick because of its design, but because through you and through Alice, and I, I'm familiar with it. Otherwise, it's one that I would definitely overlook. Well, it you is know too what, much of an old-fashioned sort of label right. vibe for me. Do you know what part of the label most people look at that I know is, is it Kermit Lynch? Is it those yeah. other guys? Because yeah. those are the distributors, <laughs> the merchants, if yeah. you will. Right, the importers on the back, right? Yep. Do you shop by that, too? I mean, how does one, or do you only serve your... No, no. You have a distributor. <laughs> no, but no, I mean, do you no. use multiple distributors or? Yeah, so we, I mean, we don't, we make domestic ones, so we don't have an importer, but we use a distributor in almost every single state. Um, and you take their recommendations and bring in the case of something they really push. Oh, or? you meant, oh, for, for the wine store. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just generally like, you know, you know, I'm one of those guys that's like, hey, I've looked at your portfolio. I, I'm interested in this, this, and that. I'll take that because I know that person and that wine is great. And then bring me something that's important to you, that like that's important to your company, and then bring me something that you're excited about. And that's generally mm -hmm. how I bought for well, all the places I bought Well, we first heard your name through our friends at Cane Winery because you were buying that's up right. a lot of vintage wine yep. for, your, for the hand bar. For the hand bar, yeah. Sons. So, yeah, I was buying a lot of stuff at auction. What distributor and, do you use here? Sorry to interrupt you. But for everybody that wants to... Try your wine or oh yeah, so uh, Banville is is mm -hmm. my distributor. But I cool. mean, I think most people listening to the radio don't buy it for restaurants, or maybe yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah. The industry, I'm sure there's um, some industry. Yeah, folks, but so. you can find it. You can find it pretty much at most wine shops. Sweet here in here in New York. So New York has been very good to me. Cool. That's a great place. I it like is. civil I like, attention. It's like, been civilly inattentive to you. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How, like, how great. Don't come don't come in here, but we'll buy your wine. Yeah. They, they drink don't my talk wine to and me. they don't thank me or no way. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking at myself on the whole time. But I will buy a lot of wine from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I only just met Andre recently, but between uh, Cane Vineyard and I've known Leah, who mm -hmm. owns Banville yep. for yep. a long time. And when I worked for Cesare Casella, one of the wines he always had on his wine list at Sula Maria Rossi was your OPP. Yep, absolutely. Other people's Pinot. Well, uh, uh, typical, uh, <laughs> typical main course OG hosted yes. by Emily Pearson and Trig Brown is we are finally getting to the theme of the show yes. about 30 minutes in. <laughs> 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 Which is the best of 2019. Yeah, this is a look back show. 
content cranking. But it doesn't just have to be of. 2019. It could be of all time. Like, oh, I okay. want, what about right. of the decade? We're closing out the. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! The what teens? about the yeah, end of centuries? Conclusion. The end of centuries, which we're not in now, but you know the 1890s, the 1990s, the. But 17- rumor has it we're going to, we're going back to the 20s. Yeah, we can go right? back to any day. So no, this no. is just to look back. <laughs> Next year. Oh yeah. Aren't we going to call it the Roaring Twenties all over again? That would be interesting. I do think things happen cyclically, mainly because we count in tens and hundreds. But I do think like the ninety-nine year of every century is a time of chaos, (laughs) and what's going to happen? And usually the answer is nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's just you know focus a little bit on this past year. What's first? Culinarily, what was your best bite of twenty (sighs) nineteen? Something at Windsun. I was open to Taiwanese food for the first time, and their baked goods and uh, their specials and the tasty kind of vegetables, the way vegetables can be so tasty, you feel like meat. I mean, I was really turned on to that cuisine. All the things that Patrick doesn't know how Thanks, to pronounce, Patrick. too. Um, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Lu Ron Fan. No, I got Lou that wrong. Lu Ron Fan. Yeah. Did you have a best bite, Trig, of 2019? Um, best bite or an epiphany? I, honestly, it's ridiculous, but it, I, I can't stop thinking about it. I had this. Uh, I had some amazing tacos on the street in LA, um, and I like can't stop. It's my probably my favorite food of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, in in Venice, outside of Venice, there's like a, a when it goes out to the main strip. I forgot what the I think it's Rose or something, but mm-hmm. uh, there's like a there's a parking lot. I think there's a Whole Foods in the parking lot actually. And um, oh, I know which one you're talking about. I, I don't know the place. I know the Whole Foods there. The yeah. whole so yeah. that Whole Foods, mm-hmm. it's a huge parking lot and a big strip. And there's like on the median, a white van kind of sets up a card table and a rotisserie. And they're you know they're slicing the pineapple off the top of the, the El Pastor and catching it in the taco. And they've got bucha and tongue and brains. And it's like uh, and it's like all the you know, I, I don't like to eat awful just to eat awful, but like when it's when it's right, you know, it's it's the best. It's some of the best, especially for tacos and um, you know, a dollar a pop. It's like the best intersection of value and flavor you can find. Mm-hmm. Oh my That's god, that's pretty cool. That was awesome. I, Good job. Um, I don't know if it's my best bite, but in an epiphany, uh, I never used to really like mortadella. And uh, oh my god, <laughs> I, I don't Antonio know. Antonio Fiaches, Tempesta's Artisans, <laughs> mortadella. Yeah, with Sicilian so pistachio. Much. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I really, I really quite like. It's Adult sort of bologna. Chi- it, I know, but the I... The wet meat. I d- <laughs> you ruined my best uh, bite epiphany of 2019. Well, go on, finish. No, no, just it's uh, to to be taught that you like something that you always thought you didn't, um, I think is, that was a, a big memory for me for this year. Andre? I think, I think for like mortadella, like I felt always felt like the nuts got in the way, right? Kind of thing, like you couldn't really like, you know. But anyways, I, I love that mortadella as well. I think mine is more of a slurp. Um, I had a, a oyster stew. Maybe oh, about yeah. two months ago, um, by the guys that was at a dinner with uh, Dr. Uh, Jessica Harris, okay. and they had uh, the honeysuckle pop up, and they did this oyster stew. I mean, it was amazing. It was like you couldn't put it down. It was so good, but it was so rich. Was it creamy? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was where where are they from? Uh, he's from Philadelphia. The guy's from Philadelphia. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And uh, but it was this whole idea. He was talking about um, talking about oyster. You know, oyster bars. This was an oyster bar in somewhere in the 1800s or something like that. But anyways, made this, I couldn't, I talked about it all the time. My wife was like, oh my God, like, will you still be quiet about like this? <laughs> is like it this an thing? on-menu dish somewhere? Or it was no, just no. a one-night only? Yeah, it was a dinner. That, and mm-hmm. I, I assumed that it was something that this gentleman cooked, the chef cooked quite a bit, but it was the first time I had it, and it was just like, it was so good. Do you slurp it with the oyster? 
I mean, I picked it up. Shell. I just picked. I we all picked it up. <laughs> oh, and we're it's just like, one. Trick. Because it was hit you know, the was slurp little... sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should have one of that. We should have a gastronomic sound machine. Right, we have, we're we have oyster stew on Christmas Day every every year. Oh really? It's like a southern yeah southern southern. It's like a Virginia thing, I suppose, yeah. like Chesapeake Bay situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll uh, you know my mom always makes it on on uh, on Christmas Day. It's like uh, it's tr- one of we don't we're not Andre. Like you better get to Virginia. But, but that's <laughs> not good for there. leftovers, is it? That's uh, not something you want to be eating a week later. No, like no, no, the no. no. It, it, it's like uh, it's not like a turkey. <laughs> but it goes. It gets. It gets so uh, cash pretty quick. You can't use your like leftover raw bar oysters for oyster stew the next day. <laughs> I mean, I I don't think you have leftover raw uh, bar oysters. Right, fine. Would you go at a, at a shuck them to order? Well, I, cruise. Would you, you eat from the oysters? No, and if soup? you if you had asked me about wor- worse bite. <laughs> 2019, it was ceviche. Cruise. No, no. Ceviche. Where? In, what ceviche? In, in, in Cartagena in Colombia. Oh, well, you should have been in Lima. Well. <laughs> your friend, how dare your friend have the wedding in Cartagena? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way. I, I've been off ceviche since then. I, Would not, you try it in, if you were in Lima? I, I will try ceviche when I'm more Her prepared. skin color changed to the color of Lima. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's the button when you need it? But so best bump. new restaurant. Can I go? Yeah, of course. I would like to make this. It's also a time of looking back obituaries, things okay. that were lost. All right. And I do uh, fault New Yorkers uh, for um, not having embraced two restaurants that I literally went to 100 times. Between the two of them, I was there 100 times. That's a lot. Uh, pasta Flyer. Mm-hmm which was a fast, casual, really progressive, very cheap, very fast. It's yeah. gone. And Martina, oh. with, that's Mark Ladner. And Martina was Danny Meyer and Nick Andrews' place. I loved, it was a pizza place on the east I've side. Been, I've been there quite a bit too. Yeah, I just love it. You go in, you're eating a, literally a world-class pizza in seconds, and then you're leaving, you're paying, you know, prob- if you order wine and champagne and stuff, you could pay $60, but you could also be out of there for $13. Pasta Flyer, I think you could be out of there for 6 Seven, Pasta yeah. Flyer was awesome. I'd go there every day if I had access to and, it. And I loved this chicken. Chicken parm was the best chicken parm of the thing, and New Yorkers didn't embrace it. I think it was location. I think New Yorkers failed those guys because those guys were geniuses. So both both have come and gone. Pasta Flyer was on Sixth Avenue off of Fourteenth Street, and I don't know. I I think it may not have been in the right. That's a tough area. Fast casual, um, I think, has to look fast. If it looks like Del Posto, it might, or it looks like Maialino, it might. Uh, and that people might not feel like that food could actually be fast food. They feel it's going to be high end and have a waiter. I, I used know. to I used to work in Chelsea at uh, Colicchio and Sons. Uh-huh. I, I wish I was working there when Pasta Flowers opened because I'd be able to afford to eat there, and I would have gone and you know chilled in that because it, it was a nice it, it was a nice setup. I agree with you. Like the uh, you know they could could have made it maybe like less comfortable or less beautiful <laughs> to, well, to make it look like what it was which right. is fast food you and could be yeah, in and out of there in a minute and a yeah. half if you downed it that pasta literally took like 30 seconds to make yeah, i don't know dope. i think it was I, I neighborhood being in like you need a you need a strong following to like get things kick-started and there, i do yeah. think that like the design of a space and the layout and the look you know it's if it doesn't look inviting or and you can't really under, see the sign or it's a strange you know which side of the street are you on i, I can make or break something which is too bad andre how about best restaurant for you um doesn't cr- have to be in new york now nah, crown shy oh yeah. mm-hmm. delicious so, yeah that was uh I feel like I've eaten a whole bunch of different places, but that was like kind of the most memorable one. 
Ground ties down in the the financial district at 70 Pine. That building is really cool, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that chicken's amazing. Very Art Deco. Is that the chicken with the foot? No. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Chicken with the foot. It's a little scary looking. I'm not the biggest. (laughs) Upland also does a a chicken with the foot. I am not the biggest fan of keeping the foot on. Well, Mm. That's silly. No, why? You can use it I as mean, a toothpick. It has a foot. Yeah. It has a foot. Yeah. Oh, a toothpick. Great. You can use it as a toothpick. All right. Feet are delicious. <laughs> Trey, do you have a, a favorite restaurant of 2019? Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Well, we what? went to Carbone. Uh, I went to, oh to Carbone. God, that so place good. is very fun. If yeah. you want to eat and be loud and uh, drink and stuff your face, that place is. I've never been. I've only been once, <laughs> but I do here. think it's like, yeah, I, I think. I mean, I guess a good question is, like, best restaurant that's been around that maybe you didn't appreciate until 2019. Maybe yours is Carbone, Patrick. Uh, no, no. I don't know. I don't. That's a good question. A forgotten restaurant. Well, a lot of our restaurants, we sell to established restaurants, and they suffer by how many new restaurants open. A lot of people forget to go back to Union Square Cafe, where, you know, which is doing fine, by yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they don't go. They, they, they take a risk on a new thing. And I think are more often disappointed and don't go to the Hallmark restaurants. I don't know. Is that true? I believe there's some truth to that. I what's think everybody's, everybody's on this, this constant thing to go, what's new? What's new? What's new? What's new? What's new? What's new? And then you kind of forget about, mm-hmm. about stuff that's like quality and a staple and like they knock it out of the park every single night. I think, yeah, if, if I had my choice, I would go to new places much less often. I would wish New Yorkers would reward the best restaurants. Have I you do ever think been, there's too many restaurants. Have you ever been to Desi's Clam Bar on Graham Ave? On uh, Grand Street? Actually. No. In Williamsburg? Like Desi no. Arnaz? Uh, no. It's delicious. And Is it's it? like f- nobody even really, I feel like nobody knows it's there. Mm. It's so good. That whole stretch, uh, Grand in Williamsburg has got a, a cool a cool little area. Yeah. No, you don't think so? No, I mean, I feel like a lot of people get lost on that there's stretch. There's Four Horsemen, like, there's Emmy yeah. Squared, there's Gertie. This is a little like bit further nice. down, though. All right, this fine. is, like, closer to Winsong. Well, I'm just excited for 2020. Cobble Hill is, like, making a comeback as far as restaurants. <laughs> Our friend from, who used to be at the Breslin, Mark St. Jacques, is opening a place. Oh. I think they opened this week called Barbette. The big um, Canadian. Yeah, very, very tall, big guy. Um, but I just keep hearing about things opening. It's been such a food desert on Smith Street. So I I'm wonder, excited. I still... I'll ask, where will all the chefs go? I mean, in, in 40 years when there's 25 million ex-chefs, I mean, they're just old and retired. So would what you, like to, would you like to share your theory with our listeners and Take Andre? Me out to pasture. <laughs> I, think, I think there's going to be great chefs cooking on every block for the community <laughs> and leaving the meal outside the door. Like if you live in a big building, you could have four basically resident chefs who service your building and you pick mm-hmm. your favorite. And that guy might be making 60 meals a, more and, a, a more night. More and more uh, residential, like high-end buildings are, you know, opening, uh, I guess, rest, you know, or small food concepts that are, are meant to be for the residents with priority. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe well, that'll be part of the design. There's not as much push for that because most of the chefs are still young. I mean, when I was in the 70s in New York, there might have been, I don't know, I'm going to say a stupid number, 1,500 restaurants in the city, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000. Now what is there? 1.2 million? It's ridiculous, <laughs> you know? There were also know. fewer delis and everything. It was just a smaller community. Yeah, definitely. All right. What about a favorite destination of the year? Uh, I always like Charleston. I've been going there quite a bit. It's always a favorite of mine, and then it's been really great as the, as the food scene has evolved. Um, but that's kind of my favorite place to go to right now. 
I haven't been. It's on my list for sure. I feel like I need like a week though. There's yeah, so no, many restaurants. Yeah. It's like all you want to do is go and eat. Well, and it's got great history. You know, it's this by the water. You know, it's just it's really cool. And you know, it's it's definitely got that southern charm, too. You know, which Bill is Murray nice to get along. <laughs> I went to Portland, Oregon, for the first time this year. I quite liked it. Yeah, Yeah, it was my first time. I didn't get to the Walnut Valley. That is uh, for my next visit, for sure. That is my favorite terroir by far, the Pacific Northwest. I think certain parts of it with like 20 feet of topsoil or Mm -hmm, (laughs) something mm -hmm. absurd. It's pretty cool. Stone fruit, right? Mm -hmm. Grapes. What what terroirs in Europe would you say are most closely aligned with the Willamette Valley? Uh, We always talk about Burgundy. Right, so it's pretty much the same same type of climate uh, without the hailstorms. <laughs> and what about in Italy? I don't know. It's not. It's more Burgundy than anything. Yeah, it's more Burgundy. I think you know. I mean, actually, there's only like maybe five people in the whole valley that are actually growing Nebbiolo, but you should check it out. Hmm. Yeah, and it has a ton of terroirs. Right, Oregon mm-hmm. is very progressive in uh, bringing acknowledgement and attention to specific hills. Correct. Or- yeah. No, absolutely. It's it, it's not as like as much as like say like Napa Valley but it is broken down into six specific uh, different AVAs within the Willamette Valley mm-hmm. I think even the Gorge just got their own Pacific uh, they got mm-hmm. their AVA Van Duzer. so it's like it's it's really cool like it, you know it's you know it's changing a lot who um, do those people how do those people apply for a designation who do they go to what's the process uh, I think you apply to the government I don't know the whole process myself but um mm-hmm. You but probably have to show how your grapes are different. Yeah, than I'm sure place. there's that you know there's scientists involved in that kind of stuff that, that <laughs> talk about how this is different and this and that, and then you present it. But it, you know, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool place. We have to take a very quick break. We will be right back to talk more wine and uh, holidays with Andre Mack. Listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spins All, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. Ten years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters, like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep-deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed and more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, 
productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens Code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. All right, and we're back. This is uh, the Main Course OG broadcasting live on Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We're here in the studio with Andre Mack of Ann Sons and Maison Noir Wines. We've got Trig Brown of Winsun and my co-host Patrick Martins. Um, it's the end of the year, end of 2019, end of the decade. Holidays always means party time. I feel like some people love them, some people hate them. What's your favorite style of party to attend this time of year? Tree trimming trimming party for me. I feel Mm -hmm. like uh, there's a theme, right? And it's over pretty quickly, so you can kind of sneak out. But I like that versus the the holiday party, the the corporate, you know, the work holiday party. Is the etiquette there that you must bring an ornament? Yes. I think it should be. Yeah. You know, something in hand. Made ornament or purchased? Either or. Okay. Have you made your own ornaments recently, Patrick? No. I don't, I'm not, well, I'm <laughs> Jewish, so, you know, we, we had a Christmas tree, but we didn't have the, the, the backing of that tradition in mm-hmm. our culture, you know, so we turned on the Christmas tree thing, but, we, you know, we put Did lights Did you call on. it a Hanukkah bush? No. No. That's okay. awesome. I grew up, I grew <laughs> up with, awesome. I grew up with, uh, I don't know, probably a split, like half, half my friends are Jewish, half yeah. my friends are Christian. Did you have a Hanukkah bush? So my dad is, is not Jewish, so we were raised, we were raised Jewish, but we always had a Christmas tree. Um, but I had friends who were very jealous, so tree trimming was a very big thing. Mm-hmm. When when Hanukkah falls at the same time, we would do like a latka party with tree trimming. For is me, it that's tree the best. trimmed, or is it? You're saying you just add the things. There's no cutting going on, right? Pruning, nothing. No, I don't know the history behind it, but it's just, you're just decorating the tree. So, that's like curbing good. your dog, yeah. we don't know the origin <laughs> know. of tree trimming. All right, know. we're gonna we're gonna look it up. What is your go-to gift to give a party host if it's not a tree trimming party? What do you bring? Uh, Bottle one. A prosciutto. I, I always bring large format champagne. Always. Oh, nice. Smart. That is a step up from a bottle of wine. Yeah. Now, gotcha. with the ex- gotcha. with the expectation it will be poured while you're there, or it's like a gift? Um, Good question. It depends on what it is. If it's something really rare and I want to taste it, I make sure I open it up. But the big don't is you don't take a bottle that you left, that you bought as a gift. That's fucked up. Oh, to take it back? Yeah, a lot Who of does I've, that? I've seen people. I've seen people do that. They're like, oh, I really wanted to drink it, but they didn't. They, they no didn't one opened it. it, and so they go back and grab it, and I, that's that's. Oh, that's tacky. That's poor, that's poor form. Someone, I swear to God, once took half of a loaf of bread back. I, we had a party. I was like, "Times must be hard on the boulevard." <laughs> the only time that is allowed is if the host is like, yeah. "I can't have all of this in my house. Absolutely. Please take it and packs people with like mm-hmm. you know yeah. leftover bags." Trig, what's your go-to uh, holiday party gift? I I think I would do a bottle of wine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, bottle of vodka. I was reading Eater did a piece and like asked a bunch of celebrities, and Questlove said he always brings a record. That's cool. That's nice. That's on brand. You know, I'm doing. uh, (laughs) I have a barter with John Spencer of Blues Explosion Meat for Records, and I've just got my fourth cardboard box of these old records from his era, which is really cool. He's basically curating me an awesome selection in exchange for turquetta roast. Barter's where it's at. (laughs) That's, a good That's really deal. cool. Love barter barter. Is, really, is where it's at. I love it. We just did it. a $1,000 barter with uh, Jackson Family of Wines. Uh-huh. And me, Emily, and Catherine, you know, and a couple of members of the team also are going to basically split that thing. That's In awesome, In exchange yeah. for $1,000 worth of meat, which mm-hmm. is hard to do when you see that package get built. You're like, barter is good. Barter is good. <laughs> <laughs> 
do you and Anne within your own house barter cheese for meat? You're like, Anne, please bring home a wheel. I will bring home a turquetta. I actually am real. I love being super generous. The one thing I'm like super cheap on is like hotel rooms. I will like force four oh, I, people oh, to oh, share. I'm, oh, I'm familiar. Then rather I've, than spend $69 for an extra room. I've worked with Patrick at Heritage for three years. I'm familiar with his not <laughs> loving the hotel room splurge. You also said I'm never allowed to help you shop for family holiday gifts ever again. I spend too much of your money for I've you. I've lost thousands of dollars. I'm like, I wanted a pair of pants. You sent me to this place. It cost me $400. All right. And if you go to a holiday potluck, what is your go-to dish? What do you bring? To bring? Mm-hmm. I always bring a salad. You know what? I don't want to end up at a meal where everybody brings <laughs> is every- a protein and, and then you get protein. no green. Has anyone ever been like, this is awesome yes. and meant it? Yes. Just kidding. <laughs> Even better is if I, you know, if it's already built and neatly layered and if you come with your Cobb own bowl. If it's a salad, maybe. All right, <laughs> fine. It's got to have bacon and blue cheese in it for it to win over Patrick's heart. Trig, what do you bring? Ooh, I don't know. Um, maybe some cheese or uh, yeah. a steak or something. I do charcuterie. Steak weird. Yeah, that's me. Same a thing. cooked steak? I mean, no, you can like give a steak and, and it's like a cop out for you don't you don't make a dish, you just bring a steak. You go, here, here you go. <laughs> no, I, they're not gonna be upset, you know. I usually that's do true. the meat and cheese board, but salads yep. also. Salads. I'm known for that. I do like uh making sure yeah, if the if I'm fearful that the food will not be good, sometimes I might bring something else, like a turquetta roast, but no, I don't, I, my I friend Garrett. Well, uh, my old friend I used to work with, and Garrett Oliver always used to bring. I don't know if he still does a little vial of sea salt, which mm-hmm. will elevate any dish that's. But lacking. that's all he brings, just a little. Well, for himself, <laughs> secretly, oh, although oh, wow. not secretly now that I said that, but I'm sure he doesn't. No, use like it fin- like finishing salt. Yeah, you could do the same thing with a mini Tabasco bottles. Yeah. That's sure. like God. God forbid the person totally overcooked everything and it tastes like nothing. Just add a little. Then it bit. might as well taste like Tabasco. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Andre, you're about to open two restaurant. Well, a restaurant concept, and you have a uh, a wine shop. Uh, tell us about the two. Yeah, um, I think this whole thing journey started. I, I turned forty. Um, almost seven years ago, and uh, I bought a, a vintage uh, Burkle meat slicer um, mm. for my home, and um, and we needed stuff to put on it, and so we asked some of our restaurant friends, and and I had, and that's when I kind of started getting into country ham and all that kind of stuff. So it's a charcuterie bar, it's a, like a ham bar, very reminiscent of the ham bars that you see in Barcelona and Spain, mm. um, but with a twist. It's all American, so all American charcuterie, all American cheese, um, and all American wine with a focus on wines from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, and so it's kind of like an homage to American food culture. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, it's easy for us as Americans to romanticize about other cultures and the way they've done things, and they've done things for a very long time. Um, but sometimes I think we overlook what we've been able to accomplish too, in, in, in a short, a relatively short part of time. Or I mean, like, look, we, I mean, we have wines from the '60s on our on our wine list, and you know, so we're like, wow, we've been making wine since the '60s. So. Um, I just wanted to showcase that, and um, you know, it's really just an extension of our home, which is right around the corner. Uh, obviously, I got this machine. We started to entertain. Um, they got big and out of hand, and we decided that we would do something around the corner. And um, so, That's we have awesome. one space. It's the ham bar, and then next door, uh, opening the second quarter of 2020, will be Anson's Buttery, which is basically our larder. So you can buy all the meats and cheeses. You can recreate what we do in the ham bar at your home. 
and that's mm. next door. And can you also buy wine there, or you have to go a few yeah, blocks so, away yeah, to Vineyard? You have to Vineyard. go about four blocks down, and you can go to Vineyard. We purchased a wine shop about five months ago, and so just kind of loop it in. We don't sell any. We just sell wine, which basically differentiates us from the other wine shops in the neighborhood. We're the actual wine shop. So right. do you give like a... $10 off coupon to people at the ham place so it really encourages them to go to that wine bar? Uh, no, we do, do we, do it, we do it the other way. See, but so basically, we just basically slice meat on the board and put all our tastings, you can come and taste mm-hmm. meat. And if you like it, you can go up, you know, you can go up the street when we are finally open. So early early 2020, we can come to Anson's? Yes, maybe the first week of January is what we're looking at. And what's the origin wow. of the name? Uh, Anson's... Um, it's it's for our four sons. I have four boys ranging from the age of 11 to 11 months. Uh, and it's for, it, we've lived in this neighborhood for 10 years. And so there's nothing but boys. My kids have grown up with other sons on that block. And then it's the proverbial America's sons. Wow, you've won up my three sons. That was a sitcom. <laughs> with, uh, what was his name? Fred, uh, Fred, uh, Mur- Mur- yeah, Fred Murray. Murray, yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually, he, uh, it's Murray Ranch. He owned, uh, he owned a winery. Wow. A vineyard, yeah. Does Joe Montana own a winery in Oregon, or is that Northern California? In Northern California, okay. yep. Does everybody own a winery these days? A lot of people. Well, Yao Ming, I know, is into wines. There's Dave a lot Matthews. of... Dave Matthews. Mm-hmm. Oh God, it's I'm a great. Uh, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. I went to Hudson. My friend Christina Salas Porus. We went to Hudson uh, Winery. It's mm-hmm. a huge estate, and he took such great joy. And I was fascinated by, you know, he had a huge map of his farm and the terroir, and when the sun hits, and the workers, and how many workers are at each place, and when they harvest. It is an awesome. It, it's the true definition of culture. Yeah, you absolutely. know, to make something pleasurable, but they're also very, of course, aware of a fair workers and you know these are people that are going to work with them for 40 years you know and yet they could be picking the grapes so it's a very touching microcosm micro where, where was this at hudson wines is in you know napa valley oh uh, lee, lee hudson yeah yeah lee yeah, hudson yeah, yeah absolutely yeah i love that guy we're friends yeah. with uh, him through christina the Kane guy and my buddy chris carpenter yeah, chris is amazing uh chris carpenter chris came with us to hudson yeah chris carpenter oh. came. patrick was, uh, patrick and i were fully drinking our wines at the tasting and chris was more of a <laughs> true taster <laughs> more of a spit bucket kind we, of guy emily and i, I had to get spit. carried to the car <laughs> Exactly. So you have uh, Maison Noir wines yes. in the Willamette Valley, mm-hmm. and uh, how did you end up in that region? Um, I've I've always loved Pinot Noir. I, you know, some of the great wine lists that I've had a hand in building, they bookend on red and white burgundy. And so when I was thinking about quitting and moving on to do something else, I wanted to continue to, to learn about wine, but um, I wasn't going to move to France or anything like that, and I felt like the best thing for me to do was to uh, make wine. I was, I was going to continue to learn. And... Um, so yeah, Oregon was a place that always spoke to me. It was something that I championed at the French Laundry and on the wine list at Per Se. And so things kind of worked out in a weird way where a friend of mine bought a vineyard there and that's kind of how I ended up there. Um, you know, it was great, right? We had, you know, less competition than, say, California. It was a lower bar- a bar- a barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I loved it there and the people there. And so that's kind of how I got there. But I was committed to raising my family in New York. And it was something that I felt like I, I moved to New York and uh, unsight unseen in of 2004 and I felt like wow it just would have been cool to grow up here how cool would it have been to grow up here uh, and then I married a New Yorker and you know and so now I get on a plane every single week so uh, you just came out with the book 99 Bottles yes. a black sheep's guide to life changing wines yep. it's been said that your book is paving the way for wine entrepreneurs from all walks of life 
Tell us uh, why everybody needs this book. It's a beautiful hardcover book. It looks fun, and I've never really seen a table of contents that looks quite like it. <laughs> um, I think everybody should read it because it I, it, it, it tells my story. And the, I think for most people on the outside looking in about wine, they think that this is something that you need to, you need to be born with. And as you read to start to read my book, you realize that I learned about wine by watching old episodes of Frasier. <laughs> and that's really how, how I caught the oh wine God. bug. And then it evolved into something else. Um, and so, you know, it, it's 99 bottles. We say life-changing wines because they changed my, they changed my life and shaped my life. Not necessarily... Is it going to change your life to drink these wines? What I encourage everybody to do is find out, their ninety. Find your ninety nine. Find out your, what what are your ninety nine wines that you could tell your story. That's good, and I um, like it. It encourages a consistency in purchasing. Correct. Versus always the new, always correct. the new, and correct. I want to try something. No, oh, the new should be ten twenty percent of a life. The ninety nine should be the the ninety five percent. That's the way I've always thought it. So that's a great thing. Yeah, to no. phrase it that way. No, so it you know so it was a fun experience. You know, I didn't realize that I had so much to say. Um, it is designed and, and it looks the way that it looks if anybody knows me in the way that like it's a spoof off of a wine guide. So you look at it, it looks like a wine guy mm-hmm. guide, but it's actually a guide to my life. You read this book, you'll know a lot more about my life, but secretly you'll know a lot more about wine. We'll see if I your phone number in here, address. Well, I <laughs> my like phone this. number is on there. There's, in there. An, il- there's an illustrated mm-hmm. Andre. It says you are broad-shouldered for lifting yes. and you have excellent lung capacity. Oh, yes. yeah? <laughs> <laughs> this makes a good wine drinker and <laughs> illustrated oh, Andre. Funny. Mac. Absolutely. That's funny. <laughs> so funny. All right. All right well, well, great we, show. We can't wait to visit uh, Ann Sons. Ah, I can't wait to have you guys in. It's going to be great. Um, thanks, everyone, for a great 2019. This was our uh, first full year back on the air as the main course OG. Mm-hmm. We started mid-2018. So uh, we're looking forward to 2020. Trig- Hope Trig comes, uh, becomes an official co-host. Would be an honor. We're going to send the contract. Really? You want to say it on air right now? I'm in. All right. All right. 2020. It's good for ratings. An official main chef. course OG co-host. Oh, God. Thanks. Man. Everyone have a great, happy, and healthy new year. And Thanks, we'll Andre. see you in uh, Thank 2019. You Thanks, Andre, for joining Sweet. us. The main course OG is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.